2: This episode of Barsa Talk is sponsored by Audible. With four hundred twenty-five thousand titles to choose from, you'll always have something to listen to. Get a free 30-day membership, including one audiobook and two Audible Originals, by going to Audibletrial.com/slash talk or follow the link in the notes for this episode. Today on Barca Talk, Artur has suffered a hamstring injury and he'll be out of action for three to four weeks. The FC Barcelona B-team goalkeeper, Iñaki Pena, will be seeing more of the first-team bench while Jasper Silesen recovers from his injury. And the FCB first-team couldn't get a win in either La Liga against Athletic Bilbao or in the Copa del Rey against Real Madrid. First, the news. In the winter transfer window, while the signing of Franca de Jong from Ajax dominated the headlines, Barcelona also signed Brazilian right-back Emerson, currently on contract with Italian club Atlético Mineiro and playing on loan with Real Betis in La Liga. Emerson, just 20 years old, will join Barcelona next year for a fee of €12 million on a five-year deal. The Department of Integrity and Security at La Liga have identified five possible cases of match-fixing this year. Three matches in the fourth tier, one in Segunda B, and one in the Liga Iberdrola, the women's top tier, have been deemed potentially suspicious by La Liga. Last season had a total of 29 games given this classification. In a deal finalized with Spanish prosecutors last week, Jose Mourinho, former manager of Real Madrid, has accepted a 12-month prison sentence and a fine of €2.2 million after admitting to tax fraud. The tax evasion is alleged to have occurred between 2011 and 2012, while Mourinho was managing Real Madrid. He will serve no actual prison time, as Spanish law allows sentences under two years to be suspended. The Independent reported last week that Chelsea are among the clubs scouting Philippe Coutinho and keeping track of his performance at Barcelona. Chelsea could lose Eden Hazard at the end of the season to the likes of Real Madrid, and the Independent's report points to Coutinho as a possible replacement. When asked about the prospect of selling Coutinho by Radio Cope, Barcelona president Josep Bartomeu said we do not want to sell Coutinho. Coutinho himself was less definitive on the matter, telling BN Sports after Barca's 6-1 defeat of Sevilla in the Copa del Rey, nobody knows what will happen in the future. Barcelona midfielder Artur Melo has suffered an injury to his hamstring. He's projected to be sidelined for three to four weeks. Spanish newspaper Sport spoke to a medical expert about the injury. The doctor is not personally involved with Arthur's medical care, but he described three possible scenarios of hamstring injury and implied that Arthur's could be the least severe, requiring only rest, physical therapy, and easing back into training rather than surgery. We'll discuss Arthur's injury more in just a moment. All right, this is Barca Talk. I'm Brian Henderson in Buffalo, New York, and joining me, as always, is Gabriel Quiroga in Madrid.
0: Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from another mother. What's going on, buddy?
2: What is going on? Um, not much, you know. <laughs> you know, it's just, we finished the second week of school, and uh, I'm trying to teach this class that I've taught before in a very new and different way. It's a lot more fun. It's actually less work day to day, but it does require a lot of planning a lot of curriculum planning uh but it's it's fun i got these kids clapping i have them singing and i'm enjoying it so that's that's the important thing is that i'm enjoying it and that they if they learn along the way of me having a good time that's fine but mainly it's just about me having fun (laughs) (laughs) so yeah like class is going well and oh man all right i have a weather story to tell you But it's not just about the weather. I'm not just going to talk about the weather. But as you know, I live in Buffalo, and it's a snowy, icy tundra, a cold, unforgiving place at times. And that's the season we're in right now. So we got really icy conditions last Wednesday. And I went to school. I parked my car. I was walking in the parking lot, and I hit this patch of ice, and my feet just went out from under me like in a Three Stooges movie. (laughs) Like, I hit the deck hard. Luckily, I, I landed on my uh, on my butt cushions, and it was, like I didn't hit my head, so everything was fine. And I was I was carrying a cup of coffee, and I still managed to keep it upright even as my body rotated ninety degrees and fell to the ground. So and I laid there for an extra minute or two, and it was raining like frozen rain, and I'm just laying there in the rain, recovering from that fall. And uh, yeah, it bruised me, and I had like all these weird feelings like is there such a thing as a concussion for your intestines (laughs) because that's kind of what i felt like for like two days i felt like my insides like my guts were all you know disoriented
0: no it can't happen i mean that's what happens in car accidents often yeah you know you get that kind of shock to the to the lower abdomen that's why when boxers they always tell you to hit in the midsection because it kind of if you hit in the liver area, it kind of just gives you a shock and it's kind of the same thing. So it's possible for sure. Body blow.
2: Yeah,
0: body blow. I, I don't know if they would call it a body blow concussion. But,
2: uh. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah, it was kind of like that. And I had kind of a headache for a couple of days, but I'm fine now. Everything's fine.
0: How are you? <laughs> I'm well. I'm well. You know, I'm, I'm just here. Uh, I had a big project for the website this weekend that I got completed, which I was happy about. And yeah, just getting ready for the week.
2: Yeah, you really you did a lot of work on that on that website. And if you go and look at the website, Barsatalk.net, you may not notice it. It still looks as good as it always has. But we know it was mostly a lot of under the hood stuff that Gabriel did. And uh, he but he really souped up our, our website. So we have a, a, a performance vehicle now. So we uh, I mentioned in the news segment about Arthur's injury, and we want to focus in on that for just a few minutes and talk about sort of the implications of that, the consequences and, uh, you know, what we're dealing with now that Artur is injured, has this hamstring injury.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is huge news, right? Because especially of how well he was playing previous and how important he is to our possession game. And, you know, this comes to question who's going to take his place. So does that mean Elena gets more playing time or Sergio Roberto?
2: Well, some people are actually suggesting that this could be an odd opportunity for Coutinho to slip back into the midfield and maybe, you know, improve his performance a little bit. I mean, I think that's a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, it might I mean,
0: be. <laughs> I mean, just because he he's shown lately that he doesn't have the ability to hold the ball and make correct passing decisions you know just like in the classico i mean to me i just think this is a perfect opportunity for either roberto or elena just to give us a little they know how to play the possession style and move and you know Artur was doing that role you know beautifully and unfortunately with this three to four weeks in the most crucial time of we need him it's really unfortunate for him
2: yeah it's not not a good sign but so getting back to possible replacements like i said i have heard some people suggesting that it could be an opportunity for coutinho but i agree with you that either elena or sergio roberto would be better off in there and samedo has really been stepping up in the last several weeks he's been getting more and more starts he's been seeing more in minutes he's been improving his game uh you know except for that that one goal that we gave up to uh real madrid because he was far too advanced down the field but we will talk about that later um, but I think that Samedo can very nicely start in the right back and that frees up Sergio Roberto to fill in for Artur. And like you said, he knows the, he knows the system. He knows how to pass and move. He knows how to maintain possession. He knows how to do all those things. And he's good at looking for a forward pass as well.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, the most important thing that we need in, the, in that spot is a player to hold the ball well, make the correct passing decisions, you know, back to the fullbacks and not give Um, turnovers that'll lead to counters and then also making those decisive through balls when they're available. So I think Alenia and Sergio Roberto fit that bell better than Coutinho.
2: Yeah. And as I mentioned, I read this article where Sport had talked to this doctor about the possible uh, injuries and there's essentially three scenarios and each one can, can be of varying severity, which would determine the treatment. But it seems as though Arthur probably got the least severe of all the possible hamstring injuries, uh, probably just a a sort of an aggravation of the, between the muscle and the tendon, as I recall Mm. from reading it. And so that is at least like the best of all possible hamstring injuries.
0: You know, with most muscle injuries, the, the recovery, the rehab, that always goes well, but it's always psychologically because especially with your hamstring, it's the muscle that is the most important when you're sprinting. And as a footballer, it's one of those things where you don't know how much to press it, and that's always kind of the fine line of how you can come back, right? So, you know, hopefully they take their time because, you know, we don't want the same thing that happened to MTiti, where he kind of not decided, decided, not decided surgery, and it just kept prolonging, right? So, you know, I want them to do a really good job on the rehab. He needs to be able to test and be strong because you don't want this thing to linger for the rest of the season because he is really important to our midfield.
2: Yeah, and he's so important in fact, I was looking back on our our own archives and it was all the way back in episode 93, so that was something like 11 or 12 weeks ago where the title of the episode is The Revelation of Arthur, right? That was the that was the week when he really showed us what he could do. And I'm always reminded of something he said to the press when he first signed and you know, he had the the big initial press push when he when he came out and had his presentation. And it was just a one sentence remark that I that has always stuck with me. And he said, "People are going to like the way I play." <laughs> it just made me think of Men's Warehouse. You know, I guarantee it. <laughs> but, I love it. But sure enough, you know, he the way he plays it's, it's like it's a very Barcelona friendly. It's a very Kool Aid friendly way of playing. It's it's the kind of game that that we like to see. And so it's really unfortunate when a new signing like this, and he's he's so young as well, suffers an injury like this.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and most importantly in the most important month of the season because we have so many competitions and such so many tough games ahead of us. And as we saw in the classico, once he got, you know, his bearings and his footing in that match, he was able to um definitely solidify the possession that we desperately needed against the Real Madrid's uh pressing. Now, you know, I just hope again. With muscle injuries, it's always super difficult of how far they can push it. So I just hope he comes back fully healthy and then just helps us in, in March and April.
2: Yeah, and when he does come back, he's probably not going to be at full strength. You know, he's going to have to ease his way in. But yeah, he's going to miss, you know, he'll miss the uh, the weekend match against Athletic, of course. He'll miss the Valladolid match. He'll miss the Champions League against Lyon. Sevilla in La Liga after that and even potentially the second leg against Real Madrid and maybe even the La Liga match against Real Madrid on March 2nd and that's that's a lot we have a lot of important games coming up and it's very unfortunate to not have him available
0: but also it can be a blessing in disguise maybe it gives Alenia and Sergio Roberto more playing time and they're on the field and you know creates more opportunity and you know maybe we see Alenia step up or Sergio Roberto step up in the midfield. And, you know, we always want to see Roberto on the midfield because he has, you know, something about him for the big matches. And so, you know, that could also help as well, getting him more playing time, uh, especially not being a defensive liability also at the midfield.
2: Yeah, that is the upside or the silver lining of this situation is that it does open up a spot for Alenia or Sergio Roberto, both of whom I would love to see playing more. At this point, you know, so it's unfortunate that it takes Arthur's injury to create that space. But especially Alenia, the last couple of times he's come out, he's looked so good. He's just looked so ready for the first team. And Sergio Roberto is at this point, you know, he's he's like, you know, he's not. Necessarily exciting. You know, he's not the guy who rolls up on a motorcycle. He's not dangerous. (laughs) He's not edgy. But he's like someone you can count on. He's the guy you settle down with, you know?
0: <laughs> he's not the Fonz or what?
2: <laughs> he's not the Fonz. He's Richie. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. He's
2: Richie Cunningham.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, you know, like you said, it gives them more opportunity because it's funny because when we look at the midfield and we always talk about this, I just feel the right side is kind of the bruising physical one, you know, with Rakitic or Vidal, whoever you choose, right? Which is perfectly suitable. They're both really, they both have been playing well on that side, and that's fine. But once you move those guys to the left, for some reason, they just look like a fish out of water. Not for some reason, obviously, because they're more accustomed to the right, but they just look completely fish out of water. Now, I would rather have Alenia to have that connection with Busquets come back. And it's really important for players in the midfield to come back and move, especially when a team's pressing us. And so if we have Vidal on that left side, I think we lack that. And we just can't, we don't have that creativity going forward as well. So I really hope tonight, especially in the athletic match, that either Roberto Alenia gets a start there just to test it out because we, we probably need to them going forward for the rest of these matches. And this match is a good testing match
2: for that as well. Yeah, we're on the same page there. So while it's unfortunate that Arthur got this injury, I'm not too concerned as far as the, uh, the prospects for the club, because I think we have enough depth and we have players who can slot in there and be, be successful. Now, I want to say to our listeners, you know, please consider supporting the show in what we're doing right now so that we can do even more in the future. So if you sign up for a monthly contribution at Patreon, that would help us out a lot. Premiums include access to commercial free episodes. We put out bonus episodes. We also have Barca Talk merchandise. And we have 12 patrons at the moment, and our initial goal is 50 patrons. Once we reach 50, we'll raffle off one custom Barcelona jersey to one patron. So go to Patreon to sign up and, you know, throw down a couple of bucks a month. It's $3 is the uh, lowest level of support. If you just give us 3 bucks a month, you'll have access to these things. You'll get merchandise, and it will help the show out a lot. The link is in the description of the episode. But... If you're not into the Patreon option, please tell a friend about the podcast. It would help us out a lot. Iñaki Peña, the Barca B goalkeeper, will be in the first team's matchday squad for the foreseeable future due to Jasper Sillison's injury. So this week, our Barca B correspondent, Max Bluer, has a profile on him. While his teammates in Barca B went down to a disappointing loss at home to Conquense.
1: The torn calf muscle suffered by Jasper Chillison means that we'll be seeing a lot more of B-team goalkeeper and Yaki Pena in the first-team squad for the next few weeks. The 19-year-old has been promoted from Barca Bay and will cover for Marc-Andre to with the first-team, while Chillison recovers. His relatively low profile means that a great many Barca fans will not know very much about a kid who is just one broken German finger, strained hamstring or tweaked thigh muscle away from first-team action. Despite his Basque name, Iñaki was actually born in Alicante in southern Spain in 1999. Barca snatched him up from Villarreal when he was 10. But it wasn't until he was 14, still ridiculously young, that his name hit the headlines when he saved six penalties and scored the decisive one in a shootout for Barca under-14s. Ever since then, the club has known that it has a proper goalie on its hands and Iñaki has whizzed through the age groups. He played a starring role in the under-19s victory in the UEFA Youth League last year a tournament that is basically the Champions League for kids, and has made 10 starts for the B team this season, establishing himself as the number one between the sticks. In his brief career so far, Iñaki has developed something of a reputation as a penalty specialist, with the website describing him as an expert in keeping them out. However, there doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence for this, aside from his exploits as a 14-year-old. What is undoubtable, though, is that both Valverde and the club directors see a first-team goalkeeper in the making in Iñaki. Mundo Deportivo reports that the club has agreed a deal in principle for an unnamed goalkeeper for 15 million euros next season to replace Chillerson as number two as it is widely assumed that the Dutchman will depart in search of highly deserved minutes. However, should Chilison depart, as it is widely assumed he will, the club is seriously considering the idea of promoting Iñaki to the first team. Such a move would be another leap forward in his meteoric career progression to date. He was the first of the UEFA Youth League winners to renew his contract and officially made the step up to the B-team in the summer, a clear sign of how highly valued he is within the club. Leading to one side his penalty-saving exploits as a 14-year-old, there is little doubt that Inaki possesses what they like to refer to here as Barca DNA. As well as excelling in everything a goalkeeper must, blocking shots and dominating his area, Inyaki is comfortable with the ball at his feet and can be relied upon as the basis from which to start attacks. Bearing in mind Barca's stratospheric wage bill, it makes sense for the club to promote as many youth teamers as possible, rather than bringing in more experienced pros, whose wages will inevitably be much higher. Plus, of course, everyone likes a youngster making his way in the first team. Turning to Iñaki's teammates, and succumbed to an unexpected, and a bit undeserved, 2-1 loss at home to Conquense on Saturday, Garcia Pimienta's boys had taken the lead in the 10th minute, when Carlos Perez stucked home after a delightful ball over the top from, of course, our boy Ricky Puig. Barca dominated the first half, with Ricky doing his best in Iniesta impression, time and again escaping his marker in midfield, with those incredibly quick feet and some remarkable upper body strength. Perhaps he's not quite as stick thin and frail as he looks. The kid ran the show for his team, and so would have been particularly unimpressed with what happened at the end of the first half. In the 42nd minute, Oriel Buschkets gave the ball away in midfield, allowing a Conquense midfielder to run at the back four, before Pablo Aguilera stuck one across Joaquín Chieta, and into the back of the net. And barely a minute later, as the ref was thinking about blowing for half-time, a corner was swung in, and Conquense defender Pereira rose highest and looped his header in at the far post, beyond the despairing dive of Ezquieta, who will be in goal for the next few weeks while Iñaki is off with the first team. So despite dominating the first half, Barca went in a goal down, against a Conquense team desperately fighting to stay out of the relegation zone. The second half progressed as might have been expected. Plenty of pressure from Barca, but Conquense never really looked troubled, and there were precious few opportunities to speak of as the team lacked any real cutting edge. Congolese winger Merveille, on loan from Getafe, made his debut, and did make a couple of incursions down the right, but Ricky was much more subdued, and without his influence there was very little creative spark. Merveille wasn't the only arrival on the final day of the January transfer window. Gabriel Navesh, a centre-forward, also arrived, on loan from Sao Paulo. Sadly though, we probably won't be seeing him in action until April, due to the tortoise speed with which any sort of bureaucracy happens in Spain. Interestingly, Barca tried to loan him to 2nd Division Nastic, with whom he would have been able to debut immediately. But for reasons to do with the Segunda Division being 100% professional, and Segunda B being a semi-pro league, he wasn't. No, I don't really understand it either. But regardless, the move was foiled by the damn paperwork, and so Navegis will spend the next couple of months training and adapting to life and football in Spain. It's a real shame because, as we've seen over the last few weeks, Barca Bay are lacking in the centre-forward position, with neither Rafa Mujica nor Abaduriz really scoring enough goals to nail down the position. There was a departure from Barca too, with Canadian winger Jean-Yves Ballou heading off on loan to Albacete for the rest of the season. It's a bit of a surprising move, as Balou hadn't been enjoying much game time in recent weeks, so it's not clear how many minutes he can expect to play in a team flying high in the division above Barca Bay. Still, we can only wish him luck, as he certainly does have the talent to flourish in Segunda División. Also, seek to get their promotion push back on track next week with a trip to Olot.
2: That was Max Bloor. Now, we got this phone call this week from uh, one of our listeners, Carlos, in Houston, and uh, he has a he has a complaint about a lot of something he's hearing in the media. Hey, this is Carlos uh, over here in Houston, a big fan of the show. It's
1: been a couple of days since the Classico this past Wednesday, and i got to tell you, I've been listening to... The uh, normal podcast that I always listen to, whether it's ESPN, Spanish, English, whatever it is. And all I'm hearing is this whole Vinicius talk about how great of a player he is. And I'm starting to believe this is all Madrid media hyping up a player who's obviously half-talent but isn't what they're saying he is. I'm annoyed by it. Not that it's a big deal, but it's annoying because I thought it was a good game. First half looked weird or whatever. We played kind of odd, but second half, everything was stay back to normal because we didn't get the W, but it looked better. Yeah, I'm tired of this whole VDC thing, and I hope you are too. Big fan of the show, and I'm always listening to you guys on Monday morning at work, so see ya.
0: I, I heart this phone call so much because I have the exact sentiment because... It's completely true. I mean, here in Madrid, they have built him up as the next Neymar or even better. And fortunately or unfortunately, since he has started, the run of Madrid have coincided. Now, I think he's a good player, but I just think he's a one-trick pony. But man, I mean, all the talk shows here, they I don't know if it's his name that they love saying more or or what, but yes, he's a good player, but I I definitely just think he's a one-trick type of pony. He reminds me a lot of Robinho when he does the Bicicleta, all all those moves, but to me, I know he's really, he's 18 years old, I get that, but man, the Madrid press love putting him up. They're they're ready to put a statue for him in front of the Bernabeu
2: pretty much. Yeah, Vinicius, it does sound, he sounds like a Roman gladiator. (laughs) So I can understand why it would be fun to say it. But anyway, thanks, Carlos, for that call and a good point that you made. All right. Now we're going to work backwards this week and let's shift to La Liga. And before we start talking about the athletic match that Barcelona played, uh, I do want to mention the Madrid derby that took place on Saturday where Real Madrid took three points from Atletico in the Wanda with a 3-1 win. And this uh, made me check into Solari's record since taking over, which actually is pretty good. He's got 10 wins, two losses and one draw. He's brought them up from ninth place at match day 10, which was Lopetegui's last uh, match in charge, to now being in second place. So, of course, our bias towards Barcelona might lead us to remain skeptical, but it is kind of hard to argue with results like that. I mean, it looked at one point like they were completely out of the title race, and now they're within five points with 15 games remaining. Six points. Yeah,
0: I watched this match yesterday, and again, Madrid is... Playing with a lot of momentum. They're playing with confidence. But I think Solari made two key moves. I mean, he's gone to the youth movement, which I think is great because those players he had in Real Madrid, um, Castilla, basically when he was coaching them. So he has a good relationship with them. But again, the younger players are hungrier and they're going to follow his tactics and his, you know, basically what he's asking. Whereas Marcelo, Isco, these type of players have been kind of ruled out because of their fitness. They've been kind of, I wouldn't say lazy, but they've been very comfortable in their role. And so having that shakeup and then also basically Benzema, you know, being the best number nine in the world as well. That's also helped. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you can't argue with the results. And again, you know, I watched this match yesterday and Atletico looked very unimaginative with their four four two. They just barely did anything they had a nice goal by Griezmann but Madrid basically controlled the
2: entirety of the match. Yeah, and I think we'll have more to say about how Madrid is playing now uh when we talk about the Copa del Rey match which will be in the next segment. But for now, let's shift over to the Barcelona match in Bilbao against Athletic at the San Mamés. It was a scoreless draw and uh yeah, speaking of being uninspired and unimaginative. I <laughs> think I think we would I think we would uh have to suffer from that affliction this weekend as well.
0: I mean, my gosh. I mean, where, I mean, where do we start with this? Because it's up to you, you know, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, I mean, this is the thing, Brian, it's like, you have these fixtures, you know, every year. And for, for me, I always know the tough matches are going to be in the Basque country, you know, whether it be in the Anoeta or the Zama because of the weather and the style of play that they play. I always know it's going to be difficult. And this was no different. and, The lineup for me is just baffling. Brian, Vidal and Rakitic in the midfield again.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I have two things to say about uh, Vidal in particular being in the starting lineup. One, I wish Alenia had started instead. And when he did come on, I thought he looked sharp and he didn't have enough time to really work himself into the game. So he's not really an impact player. So I think that Alenia needs to be getting more starts. Secondly, about Vidal... I just keep thinking, why Why didn't we just hold on to Paulinho? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Honestly, like I because know, we let I Paulinho know. go, and then we signed Vidal ostensibly to replace Paulinho and to bring what Paulinho brought, but he's not bringing it the way Paulinho did.
0: You know, it's funny because remember in the beginning of the year when he came in the Valladolid match, he looked completely lost, like today, basically, with the passing accuracy of a child. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know and... And then he worked his way in. But I think it was kind of, okay, he was a stopgap at that time. He looked okay. But he's, like, for me, I don't want to rely on him in the midfield. You know, for a spot start, that's great. But to play him consecutively with Rakitic where there's no imagination linking up the play, and especially in this match, I mean, how tired and bruised did we look in this match? I mean, you could just tell... In the first half, the movement, we were lingering everywhere. We couldn't do anything. And that's why, like, for example, tonight we needed to go younger, fresher. For example, why didn't Boateng get the start? Right. Are you telling me that Boateng couldn't do
2: more than what Suarez did tonight? I think he too could have easily done more. Just because, like you said, Suarez looks like he's hobbling out there. I mean, he was trying his best. Honestly, you got to hand it to him. I think he 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 gave it his all. It's just that his all doesn't have much in it at the moment. He needs to rest.
0: Yeah, you know, you know when you play FIFA, it has like the energy bar of yeah. those players, you know? I mean, <laughs> that's what we need, you know? Like I even tweeted, why can't we use the FIFA rankings to mix and match our starting 11? Because, you know, when you can tell like creativity, power, you know, aggressiveness, this type of thing. Again, Brian, I mean, the midfield was just a big problem for me. I wanted to see Elena start, you know? Again, the other thing that was a big surprise for me was Samedo. Samedo playing on the left back. This poor guy, they put him on right back, left back, you know, anywhere he can. And he, I think, for me, he had a really good showing tonight. He didn't, you know, have any defensive lapses. He provided the speed down, but obviously, there's just no comparison without having Alba there.
2: Sure, but you know, we've talked about the possible, you know, the solutions or the attempts at solutions that Valverde has tried to, uh, you know, to back up Alba when he's unavailable or whatever. And of the three things that Valverde's tried, putting Vermalen in left back, putting Juan Miranda in left back, you know, bringing him up from the B team or putting Semedo there, I think Semedo is the best option. And he really does look just about as comfortable on the left as he does on the right, which is a really nice thing to have. That's That's a luxury.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think also just the latest run of games that he's had, just more confidence in playing, I think just today was just another contribution to that. I mean, I think, you know, for I just wanted something better in the midfield. You know, that was my biggest contention. And obviously, Suarez getting the break. Also, Messi didn't look completely healthy as well. Um, you know, and again, Coutinho. <laughs> I just want to cry. Like, uh, he had a better second half, yes, because he was in the middle and doing more things. But at the same time, man, in the first half, I mean, I just counted how many times did he go in the middle? Like, more than four times. How many times did he lose the ball? He just was not doing anything. And, yes, every time he gave the ball to Messi, he would just kind of crash into him, and there would just be so many athletic ball players in that zone.
2: Yeah. You know, I was thinking during this match, the thing with Coutinho, and here's why I keep thinking about him as a midfielder, because when you think about what we need on Barcelona from a, a forward, he's really not He's not a Barcelona forward. I don't know like if that makes sense. Whatever whatever kind of tactic the Valverde is trying to play, or if you're playing with the likes of Messi, Suarez, or even Dembele, the forwards need to have a certain kind of ferocity and speed and incredible touch. And he does have a very good touch, but he also he doesn't have those other things necessarily. I really do think he's as far as, far as Barcelona goes, he's a midfielder. Maybe on Liverpool, he's a forward. But at Barcelona, he's a midfielder, and they really need to start moving him back and playing him in that way.
0: Yeah, because in the second half, he was starting to move it around, especially when he was giving the ball to Messi and then kept going to the right side, right? Because, of course, we didn't have anyone on the right again, you know? Yeah. Again, this is it's just all about the formation, the spacing of our team. And, again, he has to be able to read the team, especially going into practice two days before and saying, okay, Suarez definitely needs a break. We need to put Boateng. We need to put Alenya. Give him the start, and if he doesn't do well, then you have Vidal to put him in, and at least that'll kind of cover up because the Koolays wouldn't be upset because at least you tried Alenya.
2: Right, and plus, if you're looking for a replacement for Artur, it's not Vidal. It's Alenya. <laughs> it's the natural replacement, really.
0: Exactly. It's exactly. Kind and, of a no Yeah, and also just the way you, mean, you can see just the the passing ability the touch that elenia has he's just so comfortable on the ball he's he's never looking down
2: right and he's got that that youthful energy to him that was that was definitely something because it became really stark when he came on just how tired the other guys looked not just because they've already been playing for 60 some minutes but even from the beginning of the match they looked they looked tired from you know wednesday thursday's match
1: exactly i mean he looked fresh he a,
2: and he's like i'm 21 i could do this yeah. all day let's play too yeah.
0: he has like what that youthful dumbness you know where he just doesn't know what's going on kind of a thing he's just Sometimes. out there playing you know what i'm saying he's just out there playing you he know just, just having to run. fun yeah yeah but again you could just like you said that's a great observation because you know when he did come you can just see comparatively how much pep in his step he had you know
2: well let's let's talk about the silver lining or the bright spot so a draw is uh not the worst. But mainly, I want to, as far as bright spots, I have to highlight Terstegen. I mean, I logged statistically, I don't know exactly how many saves uh, he's credited with, but I, I personally took note of four incredible saves. There's that first little uh, moment in the 17th minute where he makes the diving save on Susayeta's shot, and then he punched it just barely managed to punch it away on the corner that resulted as well 24th minute he saves the the bicycle kick from raul garcia 82nd minute the williams point blank shot he gets in front of it and then in the 86th minute another great save
0: i mean what can you say top three goalkeeper in the world i just wish he was spanish and played in the premier league and he would get more pub you know right right but (laughs) people would talk
2: more about him
0: Yeah, I mean, he just had a solid victory, especially in tonight's game where, especially that Williams shot in the 82nd minute, because that was the game. That was the game, because if they get that one, I mean, I had no confidence we were going to come back in that because just the way we were so sluggish and unimaginative. So again, Ter Stegen, you know, super underrated again, um, you know, outside the FC Barcelona community. I mean, we all know how good of a keeper is, but man that save at point blake and i just love the way he kind of does the follow through save you know like he makes the save and he just kind of looks and he's like yep i saved that <laughs> <laughs> you know and just kind of raise his hand yeah and well he watched- yeah
2: he had to put his hand out to save it and then he's just sort of frozen for a second and he falls back on his heels a little bit yeah, yeah. I, yeah it's almost- I think even he couldn't believe that 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 worked <laughs>
0: Yeah. It's almost like when you, I don't know if you remember like white man can't jump where he shoots the three and just leaves his hand up there. Right. It's the kind of, it's the kind of same framing of that save. So (laughs) again, Ter Stegen, you know, like I always say, until he becomes the German national uh, goalkeeper, then he'll become, he'll get even more credit and more publicity as being one of the top goalkeepers in the world.
2: Yeah. And as long as he stays healthy, man, I, the sky's the limit for him. He could, he'll have many, many years as a top goalkeeper in the world he's already there he just needs the rest of the world to catch up with him and as long as he stays healthy he's going to have an incredible career so another bright spot is that now the entire team has a full week off before they play Valladolid and that should not be so harsh a game and I think that Valverde should still take that opportunity to Maybe even give Suarez more rest, I think, against Bayou's lead. Boateng should absolutely get the start. Malcolm should start. Alainia should start. Busquets and Rakitic should get a rest. PK should get a rest. But you know that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, I
0: mean, even it, what's going to be even worse now is because he's going to be like, oh, it's a full week off, so they'll be fine. And that's <laughs> how he's going to look at it. He's not going to, you know, manage their minutes or anything like that. Like, for example, you know, I totally agree with what you said, you know, put Malcolm, put Botang, but I I just don't think it's going to happen. This is almost one of those matches where we can completely get healthy, quote unquote, you know, where we win 6-0 or that type of match. So that's what I think he's kind of gambling on to use the strongest 11 and get that cohesion, get that mojo back, as opposed to. Maybe putting a uh, substitute squad or some subs and then winning one, nothing, but barely, you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. that's why I think he might use it, even though I would agree to kind of, for me, I would use the starting 11, just switch Boateng with Suarez.
2: Yeah. And, and Dembele, because, he, yeah, you know, he came in just as a sub. He looked actually pretty good, but, you know, he needs, he needs some game time No, get back into the swing of things.
0: Yeah, it's really good to have him back because, man, he, you know, what he does for us that no other player really does up front is he gives us balance either on the left side or on the right side by stretching the defense and also using, you know, his speed to the byline. Because by doing that, that creates the passing lanes in the middle. No other player has the speed that he does. But also, when he's on the right side, it just makes our attack so much more balanced. And then that allows Messi to come into the middle and he
2: has more opportunities to have shots as well. You said it. We asked one of our listeners, Zach in Cincinnati, what he likes about Barca Talk. The fact that you guys tie in a lot of the Peñas in the U.S. and it almost feels like my own little Kenya that I'm a part of because there isn't a lot of that culture in Cincinnati. You don't really hear about the U.S. side of it a lot. And he's not just a listener, but he is a monthly supporter through Patreon. The reason that I started to do the Patreon was when you guys wanted to send
0: the kids to the Barcelona camp. That was something that I thought was really cool, something that I can get behind.
2: Patreon supporters are the primary source of support for this free podcast. But as a supporter, you get more than just the podcast
0: i do like having the little sneak preview podcast early in the week really it's just kind of feeling that collective membership of being part of
2: this own little peña. bonus episodes commercial free episodes of the regular podcast and Barca talk merchandise these are the benefits of supporting Barca talk check out the premiums you get with a monthly contribution at patreon just follow the link in the notes for this episode so working backwards to last what was that wednesday thursday copa del rey semifinal first leg against real madrid in the camp new and we got a 1-1 draw the upside of it of course was uh, malcolm scoring his goal the downside was being scored upon
0: i mean yeah i mean we were lucky to get a draw because you know the first 30 minutes real madrid really came after us Uh, did you have any questions or surprises with the starting lineup
2: uh, I didn't. I looked at the starting Well, Malcolm was a bit of a surprise. We knew going in that Messi, there was a lot of coyness around like, is Messi fit? Is he not fit? He took that knock in his thigh uh, in the previous match. And so there was a lot of question as to whether or not he would play. And uh, sure enough, Valverde, Val, good old Val Green went with the, uh, his, <laughs> his continuing Copa del Rey strategy, which is to, uh, give some people a shot in the first leg. And then if we suffer too much in the first leg to bring out the big guns for the second leg.
0: Yeah, definitely. So the other thing, too, is, you know, with Malcolm, it was funny because the reports here in in Madrid, Brian, were coming out in the afternoon that Messi was going to start on the bench. And you know how we always talk about the insiders here in football. They don't really have inside information. They just like to tweet. But they were actually they were actually (laughs) just say stuff. (laughs) <laughs> they just like to say stuff. They just like to grab headlines, right? right? But they were actually correct this time. So the news did come out to, to be confirmed. But then the other thing, as you, as you just said, the Malcolm starting, at first, you know, it was a shock, but I was really happy with it. I, You know, as I, I tweeted before, I just have a soft spot for him about his perseverance, about how he almost went to Roma. He almost got transferred this winter, and he continues to work hard and practice. And, you know, he came through with us in this match. The other thing, too, was funny, Ryan. Before the match, they went around the stadium. They said, "Do you know Malcolm starting?" People were like, "What?" <laughs> <And> they're like, <laughs> "They're so slow So they were all completely shocked as well. But hey, man, um, the the starting eleven was strong. You know, we were we were going to be a little bit physical because we knew Madrid. You know, in these derbies and those clasicos are always physical. Um, but yeah, Malcolm was definitely the the surprise, but kind of not, especially with Messi being injured.
2: Yeah, and it's again, it's one of those things. Val Green wants to. He wants to save Messi a little bit, or even if he didn't have any injury, I think he might still be looking to give him a little bit of rest during the week, even though it's a Classico, even though it's against Real Madrid, it's still the first leg of a two leg tie. You know, if you don't have the best game in the first game, you can recover. And as as results go, I mean, it would have been nice for a win, but a draw is um, it's bad, of course, because of the away goal that Real Madrid got, but it's not the worst case scenario it's definitely something that we can uh, we can recover from yeah it's a good point and
0: also it could have been worse you know <laughs> it could have been a lot worse i mean it could have been a lot worse i mean we looked anxious nervous excited all those feelings as though we've never played a classico before
2: <laughs> right and the thing about a classico and i was surprised that the crowd was so up for this in the copa del rey but that's the thing do you care about copa del rey no well, what if it's against Real Madrid? Okay, absolutely. Now we absolutely care about Copa del Rey. And the thing about playing at home against Real Madrid that always seems to work against us, and I think this is also true of Madrid in the Bernabeu, is that the supporters, it's when support tips over into becoming just ruthlessly demanding. And that can start to really get into your head. And now you're feeling the pressure more. You don't necessarily feel supported by the fans as you feel like you know, you're, you're being graded, you know, you're being assessed (laughs) and judged versus supported. And it's when support can just tip that little extra bit over into judgment and demands.
0: Yeah, that's a great point because it just seems lately that we've been able to play much better in Madrid than we have been in Barcelona, just from the latest run of results. And also the other thing too, is, you know, for this match, it was a great litmus test for Real Madrid to see how much they have improved since the last time. We beat him five one, and obviously you can see it's with Solari putting younger people in. Um, they're adapting to his tactics. They're actually trying, you know. So these are these are things that are that are happening. And you know, um, what can you say about the first thirty minutes? It was nail biting for us, you know. Yeah. Especially the way Madrid was on us every second, and you know that's kind of the the first thing I kind of want to talk about is the real Madrid press. Everyone has the playbook for Barcelona is to press them high, you know, and press them constantly. That's one thing that you can do to try to counteract the possession game. Now in the previous years, you know, when we had the glory years, we had these two God midfielders of Xavi and Iniesta, right? And so when they were being pressed and we were trying to get out of it, it seemed as though we had an extra man on the field as opposed to, whatever, you know, with 10 men down, right? Because they were able to move like amoebas and pass and go. And the quality they had was off the charts, right? But lately in the last two years, we've had a lot of problems with pressing. We have had trouble trying to get out of it. And, you know, in this match for me, were two things, the absence of Coutinho and also the movement of the midfield, trying to go back and playing with the fullbacks. You know, with this, with our possession style, we have confidence to play with the keeper and PK and so forth. But in this match, it seemed as though we didn't have that. And a lot of times we were just going for long balls to relieve pressure.
2: Right. And just to clarify, Coutinho was on the pitch, and yet he seemed completely absent from the game.
0: Exactly. And that's the thing. You know, we, you know, I was hoping maybe since we weren't playing with Messi that we would go into a 4-4-2 more conservative lineup just to kind of be more uh, sound defensively but we didn't we were in a 4-3-3 but when Artur got the ball he couldn't move as much because Alba had to stay home and so when Continue didn't come to help you know Artur had to give it back to Busquets and he was automatically pressured by the two midfielders and Rakitic didn't have a good game in the first 30 minutes with that crucial turnover that led to a counter for Vinicius and so you know with the pressing of Madrid, they were aggressive, but I knew at the same time they weren't going to be able to do it the whole match. We just had to kind of withstand it and figure it out, and we eventually did.
2: Yeah, and so the the three factors that go into how we're not handling their press very well: one, there was pass accuracy, because there were there was a lot of um, a lot of poor passing going on on our on our end of things. I mean the uh, the stat that I have on that is. In the first half, we had an 88—I'm sorry, 85.5% pass accuracy, which is not bad by any measure, really. It's a little low for us, but it was mostly like in those high-press situations is where we uh, were making the bad passes. Then there's also, the, like you mentioned, when we had Xabi and Iniesta, the way that they passed and moved and protected the ball helped us maintain the possession and deal with that press. And so we don't have, we have quality players, but right, at least in this game, they weren't moving quite so well. They weren't protecting the ball quite so well. You combine that with mistakes in passing and you start to give up the ball. And then there's also the third issue, which is how the players are positioning themselves in relation to one another, right? I think there are still problems with positioning at times where, the player with the ball doesn't have enough passing options.
0: No, I mean, that's a great observation because it just seemed as though, you know, when they wanted to pass at feet, they didn't. And when they wanted to lead someone, they didn't. So it was always like the wrong decision, you know, it was, it was the yin and the yang of passing. And obviously you, you didn't get that as much with Javi and Niesta because they had such fluidity with each other. They understood where the ball was going to go and not most importantly, though, they anticipated the movements of their, of their teammates. You know, in this match for me, it was it was as though as they never had practiced the rondo before. Yeah, (laughs) it's like, that's what you practice the rondo, tight quarters, press, move the ball one pass move, you know, and in this match, it just seemed as though we had never played with each other. And I think it all comes down to as well having the security blanket of Messi as well. You know, with Messi not being in the midfield, he's he's a, he's an extra midfielder essentially. He can hold the ball, move, and make, and he can also take on three players. So that's a really nice, a nice feature to have on your team. And it's now nice. when he's not it's there, it's nice to it have. It is nice. <laughs> it's nice. It's nice. It's nice. <laughs> but when he's not there, you know, we kind of try to figure it out. We depend on Luis Suarez too much, and again, our midfield eventually figured it out. And also, it was a combination of the pressing wasn't as high and as aggressive as it was in the beginning. But all those factors, you know, those first 30 minutes was nail-biting, and Madrid could have really gone up three goals in that first 30 minutes.
2: Yeah, and the thing about a press, I mean, general press tactics are that you want to dominate the center, both horizontally and vertically in the field, and you want to push the ball out to one side. And now you have your opponent, you know, so if you're Real Madrid and you're pressing, you've got Barcelona now on one wing, you've got Semedo isolated And one area of Samedo's game that is one of his weaker things, I think, is when he's out on the on the touchline, not in an attack, but when he's just when he's dealing with press, he's getting double teamed is making that quick decision and making the right decision to either put it back or put it square or put it forward. He tends to play with the ball a little bit and he's trying to work himself into position. And that's, you know, that's admirable. But uh, he tends to lose possession. So if you can push it out to his side, you're going to be able to exploit a weakness and press him. But also, the way to counter that is to make sure that you have players coming, you know, you have forwards coming back to support him or something like that. And that also wasn't happening.
0: Yeah, it was just a mixture of everything. The other thing, too, is, you know, have you ever watched indoor football,
2: Brian? Once or twice.
0: Yeah. So, you know how they have the confidence to play with the goalkeeper and the back line as though it's not really a true back line because you have to use everyone. Right. And that was the beauty. That is the beauty of Barcelona that we were able to kind of apply that same kind of principle, but on the field, right. Which is a difficult thing to do when you're playing, because in your mind, when you're playing, you're saying, okay, yes, uh, I'm going to use the fullback and try to play it like football, sala this type of style, but it's more difficult to apply. Now, Somato, like you said it's a great point like Somato just feels uncomfortable sometimes not uncomfortable he feels pressed and so he tries to make dance moves or he tries to take the player one-on-one and still passing and going and moving the ball around left and right so again that's a great observation because once they move the ball to Somato, they just pounce they double team that and then Rakitic not reacting fast enough Busquets not coming helping enough Malcolm, everyone. Then it's tomato one v three essentially, and so that happened in the first thirty minutes. But again, tomatoes, you know, his ability to bomb down that line eventually broke up that press, you know. But like as we talked about in the beginning, he got sucked up a couple of times where you were you were yelling hustle, Camedo, yeah, get back, get
2: back. Well, that's how <laughs> we gave up the goal, right? Because you got uh, you got Vinicius going up against PK, and that should not be happening. <laughs>
0: It should not be happening. I mean, especially on that play, right? So we go up and then we lose the ball on a terrible pass. They count immediately to that corner where Semedo just came. And as you noted, Semedo is jogging back because he doesn't think it's a threat. But then Vinicius realizes that he's got PK and he pounces on that opportunity, makes a great cross. You know, as we talk about game of inches, long misses the header, goes right to Benzema's foot. He centers it. Vasquez hits it. And again, it's just. Tic-tac-toe, you know, it's, it's these moments that, you know, when Madrid scored first, it just gave them that extra momentum and confidence to press even more for the next 20 minutes.
2: Yeah, and Pique, by the way, had an amazing game. Uh, some some have called it a man-of-the-match performance. But in that particular moment, that's just not a situation that you want Pique to be in to be trying to cover Vinicius. You you want Semedo be, to be back there, and he was just jogging back rather than hustling.
0: Yeah, the other thing, too, is, you know, when Vinicius had that space he's dragging PK out and that means that long has to come out and then Alba, you know, so it creates a chain reaction. And like you said, PK had a masterclass, uh, performance in this match, but in this moment Vinicius exploited him and and PK had to respect him because he didn't want to give up the speed and see the cutback for the shot.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, he had no choice. It was just, it was, uh, it was an unfair situation and how dare they. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you take advantage I mean. of your opponent's vulnerabilities? Exactly.
0: exactly. <laughs> Don't you have respect for us? Come on. Come on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so let's – but let's talk about the uh, the ghost of Philippe Coutinho who was playing in this match.
0: I mean, this guy's killing me, Brian. I mean, killing me, you know, because
2: we need him to step up. Mm-hmm. Do you think he has unfinished business in Liverpool that he is – so he's he, – on the astral plane, He's he's disconnected from <laughs> – Sorry, I, yeah. I, had to, I had to bail on that. <laughs> uh, I'm
0: going to say no, but the other thing, too, is he just, <laughs> he just doesn't have confidence. And it's crazy how the confidence and also just not understanding his role and just not feeling comfortable out there leads to this. With Dembele being injured, he's going to play. And, to, you know, in this match, we looked as though we had one man down because Coutinho was non-existent, Brian, non-existent. And a bunch of times when he did get the ball, he would lose the ball because he he doesn't like to play with his back to, to goal like that. It's not his 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 role. And so when Varane was on his back or Carvajal, like he would just lose it and he would get flustered and pass in the middle, and it would be a bad pass and would lead to a straight counter.
2: Yeah, I'm going to coin a phrase here, and uh, unt- I, I'm going to use it until it is no longer true. When Messi plays, Coutinho appears. When Messi doesn't play, Coutinho disappears, you know. I mean, we all know that everyone plays better when Messi's on the pitch because he is so great and he does so much for his teammates that he actually makes everyone else's job that much easier and everyone knows what to do around him. And some players, I think, are you know more equipped to, to deal with the situation when Messi's off the pitch, and I think that right now Coutinho he's more confident and he's more comfortable when he has Messi to play off of. I don't think he's as comfortable playing off of Suarez and being the Messi. Yeah. <laughs> which I mean, that's, it's not fair to ask anyone to do that, but you know, to, to fulfill that kind of role.
0: I mean, the thing is it's hard because we don't know what his best role is. You know, is it in a four, four, two as a wing? I mean, again, he doesn't have, I mean, sometimes he has a relationship with Alba, but at the same time, he's always trying to go middle, and it, and it just clogs everything up, right? When Dembele plays that left, he takes a lot of his players to the byline, right? And that creates more spacing in the middle for Suarez or Messi to cut in. But Coutinho's always trying to look for that shot, which is great to do once in a while, but not every single time. Everyone has the book on him. I mean, I, next time you watch, like, watch the match, uh, the next match you watch, you will see how the defenders line up to block his shot because they know he's going to cut in and right and try to get onto that right foot.
2: Yeah. And I, well, wouldn't it make more sense? Because he is so right foot dependent. He's not comfortable putting in a cross with his left at all, I don't think. He really only has one foot. Would he be better off just coming down the right side? and then he can be more towards the touchline rather than always trying to work his way in. I mean, it's it's basically this situation where, you know, Messi, he wants to be on the right and work his way in towards the middle. He wants to go to the left, and Coutinho wants to go to his right. So there are even times when they're both playing where they get in each other's way because they both want to be heading into the center. Since he's so right-foot dependent, maybe he'd be just better off on the right. But then, of course, if... Assuming Rakitic is playing, Rakitic is also more comfortable on the right. So who do you put on the left? I mean, it creates a lot of problems.
0: More problems, right? I of mean, course, I am. again, a...
2: I'm still thinking of him as playing in the midfield rather than in the forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, unfortunately, I think his time for the season is kind of run out because especially with Dumbelli coming back from injury and Malcolm just showing more gusto, I think that Coutinho is just going to be on the bench until he can figure it out because he's had seven games in a row to do something. And basically the goals that he scored was one of PK given because Messi gave it to him and he had a nice header from the Suarez assist. But other than that, his performance has just been awful. Now I have something for you, Brian. I am, I am on the transfer or actually the who scored.com website. Great. And I'm comparing Navas to Coutinho. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Now (laughs) this is crazy, Brian, because they have this almost these, yeah, Kaylor Navas, the goalkeeper. (laughs) Right. Okay. They have the almost exact same stats. <laughs> and I'm not kidding you, Brian. I'm not kidding you. It's crazy. So, for example, they rate the possession by how many times you lose it and so forth. Just to give you a comparison, Arthur had a 7.4 rating. Coutinho has a 3.3, and Navas has
2: a 3.4. Oh, wow. So Navas is actually better than Coutinho yes, in possession. Yes,
0: okay. <laughs> Coutinho had one tackle, Navas zero. <laughs> corners Coutinho had 1 Navas had 0 right so i mean this is this is the type of performance that we're getting out of Coutinho in a Classico, you know and if we, and the way um, who scored did the whole complete rating Navas got a 3.4 rating and Coutinho got a 3.3 rating
2: yeah it was it was not a good day for him but, but, but he hasn't had many some, good days that's the thing
0: yeah but that's the thing is that in this match you know would it have been better to have Sergio Roberto up there? Yes. I think yes. You know, he would have given us
2: a 4.2 rating at least. Yeah. The frustrating thing about it is that we have, we've already seen Coutinho's quality. We know he has incredible quality. We know it's in there. So for me, it's not a question of, is he good enough? He's definitely good enough. Because you know, we, we've had other players who, you know, De La Feu, for example, right? I mean, I can always go back to him. He was like, oh, you know, La Masia kid with all this potential. He, You know, he's he's got quality, he's got skills, but he just wasn't quite up to the measure of what we need at Barcelona. He just wasn't up to the Barcelona standard, whereas Coutinho is absolutely up to the Barcelona standard. You know, on average, if you take him in his entirety, he has the quality that we need, but it hasn't been appearing lately. So... The question really for me becomes, how do we get it out of him? How does Val Green get it out of him? Is there, is there something going on in the locker room? Is, you know let's, let's do a full psychological breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> how is his relationship with his parents?
0: <laughs> yeah. I really think it just comes down to tactical and coaching for him and just putting him in the best position possible, and I just don't think that's happening. I think obviously, Val Green is so in love and so fixed to the four three three, and he'd rather put Coutinho out there because he is a superstar and we paid so much, and to see him flounder like that instead of trying to adjust and trying to find the optimal formation for the team, you know, that's that's basically what a you know a high level thinking coach would do. You know, I always think of, for example, uh, my basketball team, the Warriors. Steve Kerr is really great at this with these out of bound plays. He always gets free points because he develops these really great plays with the type of talent that the, that he has on the floor. And I think that's a really important thing, you know, for example, if I look at Solari, what he's doing with Real Madrid in the last couple of weeks of in integrating more younger players that are going to work harder for him and he's getting the results, it's finding that kind of balance of the right scheme with the players, you know, for this four, three, three, It works most of the time, but I still have problems with it because when Messi's in there, I think we lose out on the right side. And I just think that having Coutinho pushed out wide even further may be better and more beneficial, but is just not seeing that. And he's getting the results, so at the same time, he's not really adept to really cater to Coutinho, right? Because he's still kind of surviving and getting these results, so why does he have to really get the maximum out of Coutinho? Right,
2: right. Well, he might not have a choice if injuries... Necessitated, but the other thing about val green is that it's not so much that he's married to a 4-3-3 he just happens to be married to one right now what he's really married to is not changing he's very stubborn remember last year he actually ran a 4-4-2 a lot of the time and we complained about that and that was coming more from that very you know barca 4-3-3 centered doctrine that we're barca we play a 4-3-3 and now he's playing a 4-3-3 but sometimes maybe he would be better off playing a four four two and he's just not as nimble. He doesn't change his <laughs> tactics easily. He wants to he wants to have a plan and carry out that plan, even if he's putting a player into that system who's not going to do very well in it. And that is I, I think it. that is a weakness of Val Green's.
0: Yeah, yeah. I love that. He's not nimble. He's not very <laughs> nimble with his <laughs> tactics. I mean, that's the thing, you know. It, Exactly. You know, in these matches, especially since we have this upcoming month, it's, you know, I think it's crucial to understand, get a gauge of the locker room of who's playing well, who's got confidence and try to maximize the lineup and the tactics to get that go by game by game. You know, I also want to highlight the performances of Malcolm and Samato working on that right side. Now, for me, it was a tale of two parts, you know, the first part, the first 30 to 45 minutes or so was a little bit rough for both players, right? We gave up the goal, and it was partly because Tomato didn't hustle back there. But Tomato was pressing, and he was finding the rhythm of the game. And once he did, he really worked Vinicius and Marcelo, along with Malcolm on that side with their speed. Um, Vinicius had to come out in like the 60th minute because he just couldn't hang anymore. So that just kind of goes to credit of Tomato. Now, for me, it's just Tomato has to pick and choose when to go up and get sucked in. You know, in the first 20 minutes, he did it far too often where Real Madrid was countering. And the other thing, too, was when Malcolm started to show his speed, I just thought it was hilarious because it just showed so much faster on TV. You know, just (laughs) the distance he was beating Marcelo all the time, you know, especially on that uh, 1v1 where, unfortunately, Marcelo didn't convert. But once it's one of those things, Brian, like when you realize that you're that much faster than someone on the pitch, you just feel indomitable, like you can just do anything. And I knew as soon as Malcolm made that run that he was going to have a better game because he was going to feel himself into the match in that way. And they eventually, we eventually, exploited that right corner more and more. And, I mean, great performances in the second halves for both those players. They started to link up better. And what can you say about the goal? The goal was just, I mean, how can you not be happy for Malcolm? And also just... the. The accuracy of that kick is just unreal.
2: Yeah, and it was an excellent classico debut for Malcolm overall. I mean, he had a couple of uh, he had a couple of sketchy moments, and there was one in particular where the play was developing nicely, there was some good buildup going on, uh, the ball gets passed out to Malcolm, and it really seemed like a good opportunity for him to either put a cross back in or make a dribble, you know, continue the play for goal. But instead his initial move was to touch it back, play it back, cool off the play and the whole play broke down. And the crowd, speaking of when support turns ugly, right? The whole crowd was whistling at him. But I think he took that in. He processed it in the healthiest possible way. He said, I know what I should do if I'm in that position next time. And in fact, the next time it was even in a better position because just like Semedo was jogging back when Madrid scored on on us, Marcelo was kind of jogging back and there was this huge acre of space for Malcolm to receive the ball, set up his shot, and I love that he went to the nearer post. It was just, I thought it was such a clever decision to choose the nearer post because it was a tighter angle and it was such a great finish. And he, I think he took that feedback from the crowd into consideration. He said, I'm not going to make that mistake again. I'm going to go for it. And he scored the equalizer.
0: Yeah, it was a great goal. And like you said, Marcelo was not jogging. He was walking (laughs) (laughs) because on the Madrid news the next day, they highlighted his performance and it was atrocious, man. I don't know what his deal is. I don't know what his fitness is, but he has taken two steps behind. And that's why Solari has been going with the younger left back. Now, Malcolm was great on that that uh, follow through and the and just to follow the play because he was kind of out of it, but he just ran and knew that there there could be a follow up. Again, you got to give credit to Suarez's shot. You know, for as slow as he looked in this match, he had that moment of brilliance with that shot that almost went in. It hit the post. I mean, it, yeah, it was so close, and Malcolm was able to get that rebound and put it home. And again, this goes to another point: does Suarez need a break?
2: Yes. Okay, I mean, yo, know, going back to Coutinho cuz something I was thinking I I know that Coutinho is very not into having his back to goal. So this might be a horrible idea. You could either, you know, confirm or deny that this is a horrible idea. But what do you think about Coutinho if Messi's not playing almost in a false nine role? I can see that.
0: That's fine. Yeah. But I just think that You know, we're always trying to think outside the box and logically because we're a little bit more nimble (laughs) than Valverde. But, you know, honestly, we can hope and wish and pray these different formations. I think it's a cool idea to try it. I mean, why not? Right. But it's just not going to happen. Right. I mean, I think, you know, unfortunately, you know, I think Suarez is going to continue to start. He needs a break. I mean, compare the way he was moving in the last Classico to this Classico. He had a backpack of stones, concrete (laughs) boots and a parachute, you know, and he just needs a break. It's that's just how it is. He gets so many knocks, especially in this match, you know, and that kind of leads me to my next point is that he just needs to calm down with the yellow cards and the rage. You know, everything is not a foul against him. Right. He does dive occasionally and just relax. I know that's a part of his game. That's his edge. But man, you know he's come a couple times really close to getting extra yellow cards just because of the way he's confronting the refs, and that also brings up the my favorite ref, Mateo Lahoz. I mean, this guy with the amount of yellow cards and the way he manages the game just was uh, for me. I just I can't stand him. I, every time I see him on the on the screen that he's going to be the ref, I just like oh man, it's gonna be one of those matches.
2: Yeah, he's definitely your least favorite La Liga referee. Whenever I bring him up, you. you you well, in fact, this is the funny thing. He's the only referee that really even comes up that much, and it's never good.
0: Yeah, you know, I don't know if it's because he has like a standout feature that he's kind of balding, and you know, he's he's always in these big games of the Clásico, and so he kind of has, as we would say, fama, like he's famous for the big matches, and he's but he's not that good. So I don't know why he keeps getting pulled, you know. And again, in this match, the way he distributed the yellow cards, you know. You're telling me that Ramos didn't have more than 3 fouls that should have been yellow carded? I think so. Yeah, I think he had 2 or 3 that should have been yellow carded for for that and then Suarez too. You know, I think Suarez's reaction a couple times could have been yellow carded as well, but like as we always talk about with with Lahoz, he does not like to eject people.
2: Right. Right. In fact, I have stats for you. So in La Liga uh just this season, Laos has shown 52 yellow cards two uh second yellows leading to reds and no direct reds. So clearly this is one of those referees he likes to try to control the match with the yellow card but he also doesn't like to put 10 men against 11. And I've known referees who have that that sort of approach because it is you do tip the balance of a game a lot when you take a man away. So this is a referee Laos, he just he I think he avoids ejecting players at all costs so in a lot of circumstances if you're a player and you get a yellow card early in the game especially if you're a defender for example now you have to be really careful so that you don't get the second yellow so that you don't get ejected but the funny thing about when laos is refereeing is that you get the yellow card and now you're good because <laughs> the yeah, chances that he's going to red card you were very very low
0: yeah very low i mean that's how Ramos plays it that's how suarez plays it and I think they let their emotions get too much into it. But again, you know, you always say that, you know, how lows can tip the balance, but it automatically goes back to the players. You know, the the control of the yellow card is important, right? But you got to be able to use it well. And also you're kind of setting the tone of the match, right? So if you're going to let all these fouls go on at the beginning, then, they're going to keep towing the line to get more physical. And that always happens in the Classico, especially in the last 20 minutes. There's a couple of times with Modric's yellow, um, you know, Suarez getting the yellow. It's just like everyone is just kind of towing the line of what is legal and not. And for us, that's not beneficial because it does not – that's not the way we play. And you can see one another time when Artur got hacked, man. And that should have been yellow as well, but we didn't get the calls. And, again, I just – with – mainly our players, you know, focusing on our players, Suarez just needs to calm the F down, you know, yeah. just like especially on that one play that he thought he got a penalty. I mean, it was completely not. And the way he stared La Hose down is like they kidnapped his children or something or <laughs> keeping them at ransom, you know, yeah. it's just like, man, channel it in different ways. You know, that's, that's what I'm looking for.
2: Yeah. And there are other referees who essentially, especially in big games, like, you know, derbies like this, they'll adopt more of a three-stage approach right they'll they'll talk to you first and they'll say you if you do that again you'll get a yellow card and then once the yellow card is out now you know that the referee means business and they're not going to they're not going to hold up they're not going to hit the brakes on the cards so you really are in danger of a red card but yellows yeah, his his yellow cards have no teeth it's almost better to commit a bad foul early in the game, get your card out of the way and Laos is not going to eject you. So now you can, you can run wild for the rest of the 90.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is the thing too, that, you know, that's a good point. The three stage uh, effect or approach is I think a good effect because you're setting the boundary, you're talking to them. Then you set the precedent of the yellow and then anything further than that is going to be ejection. Again, I'm kind of scared of real Madrid now the way they're playing because you know, Solari does not care about the stars because he is not going to be there after this year, most likely. So he doesn't give an F. <laughs> and he basically benched, you know, Marcelo. He's benching Casemiro. Like in this match, he benched Casemiro. And he's just using those young guns that are faster, going to listen to his tactics. And, you know, they beat Madrid yesterday. I'd like to go Madrid. And, you know, they dominated that, that match and they're really playing well. So we'll see how they do at the end of this month and how we do as well with the war of attrition of games and health and so forth. But man, those two games are going to be quite brutal at the end of, at the end of this month.
2: Yeah. And assuming that Real Madrid is going to press us in a similar way in the second leg as they did in the first, do you think that having been through that in the first leg that we'll be better equipped to respond in the second leg?
0: I mean, the the best answer is if Messi plays, yes. If Messi doesn't, then no. I mean, that's really what it comes down to because we just play with this ultimate confidence when Messi's on that starting eleven, and of course, we deserve it because Messi is the best player ever. But if we don't have him, then all of a sudden that pressing in the Bernabeu it could be you know a big danger for us for sure. So hopefully, I mean, but this is the thing, Brian. It's not the first time we've seen this press, and that's right. that's the really kind of. Hard part for me to, to analyze that because all the teams have the book on that, you know, to press Barca, press them high and try to force them out wide to Samedo and try to get errors from Rakitic. And that's really kind of the playbook. And so, you know, these players know it. They should adapt to it. Now, hopefully we'll see, you know, what happens uh, the rest of the week, you know, with the matches coming up against Athletic and and who's our next one? BioDelete. So we'll BioDelete after that, Yeah.
2: And they'll be playing at the Camp new instead of that horrible field they gave us when we first played
0: them. <laughs> yeah, you mean the golf course? I mean, yeah. with all the holes in there? Jeez, that, that seemed like so long ago, Brian. That was like I was 21 at the time, I believe, or something.
2: <laughs> yeah, I had just kissed my first girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so we'll hope for, the, hope for good results from that second leg, and it will be nice to have a little bit of a break before the uh, biota lead match special thanks to max bluer this week this has been a production of barca talk written by gabriel quiroga and brian henderson editing and music by brian henderson social media and promotion by gabriel quiroga remember we can't make this show without you the listeners to see the premiums you get with a monthly contribution of support follow the link to patreon in the episode description Vísca barca